Good morning, everyone. Uh, how many feel the pressure of the fact that God's going to God's God's starting to work and do some some new and different cool things here at IBC? Um, yeah, there's there there's a lot, of, and sometimes we get the pressure of that, right? Like it's really cool and really awesome, and then we like the enemy doesn't like that, and so he kind of like you know it used to be, and and I think. Years ago, uh, Denise and I kind of figured this out and, and uh, learned to pray through this. But it used to be for us, it was like every Saturday night, it was like this blowout argument. Like we didn't fight at all, except Saturday nights. And the, you know, and uh, so that, those things do happen. And one thing I know we will be fighting over is uh, today is uh, the NFC and AFC playoff games for the, who is, okay, so we got the first game is the Bengals and the Chiefs. Who's, Bengals? Who's got Bengals? Who's got Chiefs? And we got, nobody cares about that one? Okay. Uh, so about the Rams and the 49ers. They're going to be playing later this afternoon. Uh, who, who's got the Rams? Rams over here. Who's got the 49ers? Uh, see, Pastor Clint, he's got the 49ers. Um, I, honestly, I, I could go with all these teams. I'm fine with any of them. I, I don't know. I love football, but I, the Jets are going to be, it's going to be a while. So uh, anyhow. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have fun. But tonight we do have our uh, vision and planning meeting. Uh, so uh, we, we will hope that that game doesn't go into overtime because uh, it's at 6 o'clock. Uh, I think the game starts, it starts at 3, right? So that should be enough time. But uh, what's that? First one's, at, first one's at noon, and then the, the uh, Rams of 49ers is at 3. So, but... This is why God invented the DVR, okay? If you have to leave the game before it ends, our church uh, is in uh, your church body. I know this is hard, but it's more important than football. So please try to make it, if you can, tonight to the vision and planning meeting. Uh, we're going to have a good time, and I think God has shown uh, the elder team and myself some really cool stuff. Um, and uh, God's going to do, do some radical radical work here at IBC. I'm, I'm, I'm certain of it. <laughs> After seeing some of the things that have been going on, I'm certain God is doing some really cool stuff. All right, let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, we'll start in verse 21. Yeah. I'm actually really excited for tonight. I, I'm, I'm rarely exciting for those, excited for those kind of things, but I'm really excited. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son of, as it was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mattathias, the son of Samin, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah. I'm going to keep going. The son of Jonan, the son of Resha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosom, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua or Yeshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Elakim, the son of Melia. The son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, uh, the son of Nathan, the son of David. Are you bored yet? The son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Selah, the son of uh, Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. You're going to hear the whole thing. The son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Sarug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of 
Harphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Meheliel, uh, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and the son of God. <laughs> oh, our holy and gracious God. Um, we thank you that even in these passages that seem so incredibly mundane, uh, that you are there, that you have given your word for reason. Let us see Jesus this morning, the Son of God. Thank you that he bore our sins on our behalf and applied his righteousness to us. Help us to see in a deeper way the love that brought salvation to us. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for uh, this church, for all the people in it who serve and who have committed to membership and those who are uh, here uh, attending and, and being involved in a part of things. God, we, uh, we pray for tonight uh, that you would be preparing each of us uh, and that your vision uh, would be uh, strengthened among us. God, thank you for all those who work hard, Lord, those in the back working uh, the sound and technology, uh, Lord, for our worship team, for Pastor Clint and his heart and transparency and love of this body and for you. Um, thank you, Heavenly Father, um, for all of their families who uh, give so much up so that your body can be served. Lord, increase the service at this church and give us grace. We pray, Father, that you would speak this morning and teach us of you. Help us to understand deep truths and see how even scriptures that seem to have little doctrinal importance give us truth and reveal your good character. We give this time over to you and to the scriptures that you have provided for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, I struggle with sin. Anyone else have that issue? I have some, any, any, had someone back there, uh, first service, uh, say that they didn't, and uh, we prayed and lightning didn't come, because <laughs> that was a lie. Um, but, you know, if, if you look anywhere between my neck and my waist, you could probably see immediately where some of my struggles lie. And on that note, I had lunch with Kevin at Tommy's on Thursday, and that was delicious. I had a delicious, this was beautiful. It was a Chipotle chicken sandwich. The sauce was astounding. It was like the bacon of chicken sandwiches. I, my taste buds were dancing. The sandwich brought so much joy to my day. In fact, just the memory of that sandwich right now is making me happy and hungry. So you can pray for my gluttony. Now, Kevin and I, we had a great time talking. We covered a number of subjects and just really enjoyed each other's company. And eventually, uh, we had to leave because, you know, we both have jobs that we have to do. And so I was still kind of in this euphoric state over the memory of eating my sandwich just moments before. And Kevin beat me to the punch. Have you ever had this happen to you? You're like, wait, no! Like, before I knew it, he had given his card to the server. Like, how do you even argue with that? Like, give it back and take mine. You, it never works, right? Um, and I'm so oblivious that this has happened several times. Um, but on this fine day, the server returned with an unswiped card, handed it back to Kevin and said, another table is paid for your meal. Now, I, I don't know who did it. I think I have, I, I think I have an idea. If it's you, thank you. Um, that was, uh, a true blessing. But here's the thing. We ate the food. We enjoyed our food. I may have committed a venial sin if there was such a thing in the process of eating my sandwich. We owed the bill. It was ours to pay. Nobody else had any obligation to pay for our food. It was on Kevin and I. And yet... Somebody committed a loving act of grace by covering our bill, by taking the responsibility for what we owed. Now, last week, we saw people repenting and being baptized by John. Today, we're going to see this take a turn that has confused a, a lot of people throughout the history of the church. Let's, let's 
dig in. We're just going to start with the very first verse. Look at this. Luke 3, 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also has, had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. It's weird construction here. We'll get to it. But here's the thing. The, the, the pure and spotless lamb, Jesus, receives John's baptism of repentance. For what? what did, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Well, to get the full picture, let's, let's look at the way the other gospel writers give this account. So we're going we're gonna to actually read quite a bit of scripture today. So buckle your seatbelts. We're digging in. Okay, Matthew. Uh, and we're going to look at Matthew, Mark, and John here. So uh, in the very, uh, Matthew chapter 3, John 1, and Mark 1. Uh, but Matthew 3, Matthew 3, 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have present, prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fill, fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Mark 1, 9 to 11, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And John 1, 29 to 34, it says, The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The baptism of Jesus is one of the few events that all four Gospels share. What that means is that it's probably very important. Why didn't Luke, though, give quite as much detail as some of the other Gospels? We have to remember that Luke is a historical work at its core. Luke was more concerned with giving an orderly account than he was at explaining some of the theological details. But the big question is, why? What is the why of all this? Why is this all going on? John's baptism was one of repentance, and Jesus never sinned. So what could he have possibly been repenting of? Let's, we're going to read two long passages here. So again, buckle your seatbelts. Um, I, I would like to apologize for using so much scripture, but this is Idlewild Bible Church. So we're going to use a lot of scripture. Okay, Romans 5. Romans 5, starting in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have, great, have the grace of God and free gift by the grace of God of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, 
Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through our righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, to understand this, we need to go back to the Old Testament. We need to go back to the beginning. It all starts with Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3. Let's read that together. You can even highlight some things in here. So we're going to read the whole chapter. Chapter 3. Let's read it. Okay, chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband which was with her and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made them for themselves loincloths. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and, and said to him, Where are you? <laughs> and, he, and he said, uh, That's not in the translation. That's not in the original Hebrew. But I know he said, I know he said, Uh, right, uh, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that we were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, Oh, the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, uh, the, the serpent... The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. The Lord made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothes and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden, sent uh, uh, to work rather the, the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and ate 
Uh, And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now notice what he says a chapter prior to this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Notice this carefully. It says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But the humans did not die on that day. God had grace, at least in the physical sense. But they continued living, although they would suffer the consequences of sin and death, and that would come to humanity as a guaranteed curse. In fact, you've heard that there are two guarantees in life, death and taxes, right? There was no government to receive taxes at that point. So really, the only real guarantee for human life is death. But the greatest curse would come upon the serpent who deceived who deceived Eve. See, the grace inherent in this account is astounding. It, but it reveals something. Adam and Eve did die that very day and brought that same death to all humanity. And that, that spiritual death also brought eventual physical death to humans. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, you were dead. And the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the man. And were by nature children of wrath. Paul also says in Romans 8. Verses 10 and 11, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, and the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. You see, because of what happened in the garden, a mere rescue couldn't do. I've heard it expressed that Jesus kind of throws out the life preserver to the drowning person. All the drowning person needs to do is just kind of cling to this life preserver by faith so that Jesus might pull them to safety. It's deeper than that, you guys. I would conclude that since we are dead in our trespasses and sins, we can't cling to much of anything. We're not drowning. We're drowned. (laughs) We're done. We're dead. And Jesus dove in, met us where our dead bloated corpses were at the bottom of the sea, brought us up and breathed new life into us. That's what it means to be born again. Now, some would simply say that Jesus was baptized to identify with us. I think it goes deeper than that. Let's remember that our sins would be on Jesus. So I think there's a much deeper meaning to the baptism of Jesus than mere identity. Verse 21 says that as he was praying, the heavens opened up. That's kind of a big deal, right? This has only happened a few times that we read of in scriptures. Ezekiel 1, the prophet Ezekiel says this in Ezekiel 1.1, in the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the creator, or by the Cheber Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Listen, visions of God, not from God, but of God. God. Moving ahead into Acts, we see the heavens open up when God spoke to Peter about eating and about the freedom to step out of kind of Jewish dietary law. Acts 10, verses 10 and 11, it says, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. That's where the, God said to Peter, rise and eat, right? God, God says, and in verse 15, he says, uh, what God has made clean, this is Jesus speaking, do not call common. That's hopeful. And it's also one of the reasons that we can now eat bacon with great joy and thankfulness. Amen. And cheeseburgers, right? So leave it to me to think of bacon when I hear about the heavens opening up. The heavens opened up and provided bacon for Peter that would 
then be provided for the rest of us. It's better than a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. <laughs> I know, I, I, need, I need prayer. Um, so <laughs> when the heavens opened up, when the heavens opened up, something magnificent is revealed. Kent Hughes said it, put it this way. He said, three, the three persons of the Holy Trinity would celebrate the sonship of the incarnate Messiah. So verse 22, Luke 3, 22, that was all one verse. Can you believe it? Verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended him on him in bodily form like a dove. And we're going to do every verse that long, so we're going to be here a while. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With, he, with you, I am well pleased. Everyone saw this. Can you imagine? The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. And Luke includes the description in bodily form. There's, there's something very substantive about how the Holy Spirit reveals himself. In bodily form, like a dove. Luke's the only one that adds that. It may be that his Gentile audience needed more information to understand who God is than Matthew's Jewish audience, maybe some of the other others there. But at any rate, the verse designates Jesus as the unique son of God. We saw that when the angel announced him to Mary uh, in Advent when we were in Luke chapter 1. Verse 35 says this, And an angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Jesus is the only begotten, and God's elect are those who have been adopted as co-heirs. Well, later, we're going to read something similar when we get to the, trans, uh, the transfiguration in Luke chapter 9. But let's read part of that right now. In Luke chapter 9, verse 29, it says, As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became, like, became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, which was weird because they, they'd been gone a long time. Who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but they had be, become fully awake when they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid, and they entered the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Notice that the Father speaks audibly here, as he did at the baptism of Jesus. We can also read about the same event in Matthew 17 and in Mark 9, if you want to, later on. The, the passage today reveals the Father's pleasure in the Son, which we also see taking place in the Old Testament. Uh, one of the servant songs here, Isaiah chapter 42, it says, Behold, Isaiah 42 verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And, and that's a messianic prophecy, which further affirms that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And so what's the father pleased over? Kent Hughes puts it this way. First, in retrospect, the father is pleased with the son's humble incarnation and his subsequent years of earthly conduct. For 30 years, the son had lived in humble circumstances in the seclusion of Nazareth. He had been responsible, uh, or had been the responsible head of a household where everything he earned was needed at home. He had been a humble carpenter, the Mr. Fixit of his backwoods village. Even after he began the great works of his ministry, he was still just a carpenter to the townsfolk. This well pleased his father. For 30 years, his inner devotional life transcended the understanding and imagination of men. Three decades of unparalleled meditation, unparalleled prayer, and unparalleled communion with his father and the Holy Spirit as he grew in his comprehension of who he was and what he was to do. 
This well pleased his father. And Kent Hughes continues his second point by appealing to Isaiah 53. We remember that one. Another servant song. This is the suffering servant uh, song here in Isaiah 53. Verse 10, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Now that's the ESV, which I typically preach from. Uh, but I think the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, uh, gets a little bit more to the heart of this passage. I want to share that with you. Isaiah 53.10 in the, in the CSB. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. And with that, Hughes continues, the entire trinity... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were pleased at the salvation Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross and on the occasion of Jesus' strategic baptism. Jesus changed places with us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. He... He took the baptism of repentance for the guilt and the shame that he bore in our place. Well, we get to be baptized into newness of life because of him. Our, baptize, our baptism is not an act of, of repentance. It's an act of obedience. It's not an act of repentance. It is a response to what Christ did when we repented of our sins and we were made clean by his blood. We call it an outward sign of an inward grace. We were already clean when we were baptized, if we are truly Christians. We are demonstrating what Christ has done for us. This is powerful, but we, we can't move on to the next verse without noticing one of the most foundational doctrines in all of Christianity that is being affirmed in this passage. We've mentioned the Trinity many times before, but I, th I believe it's, it's, it's incredibly important to speak routinely of this doctrine to prevent error. The thing is, is that we tend to want something to compare the Trinity to so that we can understand how Yahweh can exist in the three distinct persons of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And for nearly 2,000 years, we've failed to come up with a logical metaphor that doesn't at some point confess a heresy. Here are some examples. And you may have heard of some of these. H2O, right? Water. Water can exist in a solid form or a liquid form or a gas form, right? The ice, water, and steam. Now the heresy that that analogy confesses is called modalism, which teaches that God is one person who changes form between Father, Son, and Spirit, each in a different manifestation of the, the same person, uh, right? Each is a different person or, or manifestation but the same person that he's not three persons but merely reveals himself in three different forms that's a heresy we do not believe that another illustration is that the trinity is like the three layers of an apple or an egg how an egg has the shell and it has the white and the yolk um, that's partialism where each is part where the father the Son and the Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are each one-third of the whole. I don't think anyone's ever really confessed that heresy for very long, but it's been expressed. Another is where I can be a son and a father and the pastor of IBC. Modalism again, because I'm one person with different roles. Another is to look at the sun and the sky, where you have the star and the light and the heat, Right? And, and that would point to a heresy called Arianism because the light and the heat are merely creations of the sun. They come from the sun. They are produced by the sun. The sun has control over them. Arius taught that the Son of God is not eternal God, but is the first and greatest creation of God. And he was rightly condemned as a heretic at the Council of Nicaea in 8325. But today modalism lives on as the foundational heresy 
that the Jehovah's Witnesses confess. So we have yet to be able to explain the mystery of the Trinity except to provide a framework that gives us boundaries of understanding so that we don't slip into heresy. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. You see, here's the thing. We worship one God. We are monotheists, one God. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a foundational belief in Christianity. We do not worship more than one God. And we also, we know that the, the Father is God. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So then we also believe that and know that the Son is God. Two verses here. We start with Genesis 1.1. We know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. However, John, speaking of Jesus in John 1.3, says that all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. John 1.3, of course, is speaking of the Son. And so we also know that the Holy Spirit is God. Joel 2.28. It says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And then John affirms that, and uh, quoting Jesus here, who says, but when the Helper comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Who and he, those are personal pronouns, right? The Holy Spirit is a person who is also God. So we know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God, but the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. But each is entirely 100% God. Now here at the baptism of Jesus, we see this in play. Jesus in the water. He's in the water. He's being baptized. He comes up, and then the heavens open up. The Holy Spirit comes down upon him separately in bodily form as a dove, like a dove. And the Father speaks from the heavens separately from the Son and from the Holy Spirit separately and says, this is my beloved Son. So there you have the Trinity. It's all, it's all uh, laid out now, right? No more questions, right? No, it's still confusing. But we have a framework, right? We have something, uh, a way in which we can understand it. And in verse 23, we move into your favorite literary genre. I know this, that we all love the literary genre of a genealogy. We love genealogies. You heard all those names. You can't wait to get into them. I know, right? Like you've been waiting about 25 minutes for me to get to this. No, put your pillows away. Just fasten your seatbelts. We... We already read the whole thing, so we're not going to read through each verse again. But uh, we need to highlight a few things. The first is that Luke tells us that Jesus was about 30 years old when he begins his ministry uh, here in verse 23. Now, Luke isn't concerned with the details as much as giving a period of time. So it may have been around uh, 27 or 28 AD, somewhere in there. But when we compare the genealogy of Luke with Matthew's record, here's the issue. There are some glowing differences. Luke has 57 names and he works backwards while Matthew begins with Abraham and works forward to Jesus but identifies only 41 names. And that, that's, that's some pretty significant differences. And some of the names are different. So let's evaluate it for a moment. First thing to note is that at least one of these lists is probably not comprehensive, but likely both. They both likely skip generations in different places. Um, and this was, that was just a standard way of doing genealogies uh, in some cases for the Jews. And so um, with that, the, because the point of each gospel is different, different names are highlighted. So it could have been like, you know, maybe, it, you know, I'm not that important. So maybe, you know, Isaiah would be the son of Vincent, right? My father. 
right? And he's adopted. So there could be some differences in those areas. I'm not important to note. Nobody cares about me. Nobody knows about me. But my dad was a chief of police and did some really cool stuff with some state legislature. And so, uh, so we would identify maybe my sons with him rather than with me. And that's, that's how they sometimes did genealogies. Luke traces Jesus to David through Nathan, and Matthew traces him through Solomon. So, which is confusing, but there are several explanations for this. We're not going to go into detail, but I want to highlight some of the more important uh, thoughts. And, and one possibility is that Matthew gives the legal genealogy through the lineage of Joseph as his adoptive father. Um, so both genealogies go through Joseph, but if, if Mary didn't have any brothers, then Joseph may have been adopted by Mary's father. So then we might have a distinction between the legal uh, genealogy and the biological genealogy, and Luke could have been tracing back through Mary's family to some degree. So and the other thing is, we also might remember that Matthew was an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry and was writing to a Jewish audience, and Luke was relying on eyewitness testimony, and in this case, particularly the testimony of Mary, and was not writing to a Jewish audience. So we remember that the Jews would have been far more concerned with Jesus' pedigree, with where he came from, right? Um, much more so than most of your Gentiles would. Matthew didn't need to go any further back than Abraham, because that's all the Jews would have cared about, was Abraham and David, because that's, that's, uh, what they were concerned with, that Jesus was the son of David and the same son of Abraham according to God's covenant with them. So Luke's initial audience probably would not have appreciated the significance of David and Abraham. So his primary concern would be to show that Jesus was the son of Adam, which also means mankind, and the son of God. So the son of man and the son of God. That would have been more important and more significant to a Gentile at least theologically. So there are, uh, there, there are a lot of little details here. There are several possibilities uh, about the difference between the genealogies of Luke and Matthew, but let me give you the least likely possibility. The least likely possibility is the differences discredit either gospel. Inaccuracy is off the table. We know that it's scripture, we know that it's inspired by God, and there are explanations that are sound and historical and real. Okay, now remember that Luke is primarily writing as a journalistic historian. That's what we're gonna we're gonna remember that throughout our series here. He's chiefly concerned with the historical reality of who Jesus is, and we know that he concludes that Jesus is not a mythical figure, right? He, he, he he's not he's not some myth, he's someone you've heard of, but you just can't prove the existence of. You know, like the Loch Ness monster or Bigfoot. Or the idol beast. Has anybody seen the idol beast? Anybody here? No, you've seen him personally? Okay. All the time. Okay. Uh, I don't believe you. So, or like Bill Nye's friends, right? Like you know you've heard of him, but there's no proof that he has any friends. No, I'm just, I had to pick on Bill Nye today. I don't know why. Because um, Bill Nye denies all this stuff is why. Um, but anyhow, Jesus is indeed the son of God who came to deliver us from sin. The gospel writer John notes that John announced Jesus. John the Baptist announced Jesus like this in John 1 29. He says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm sure he yelled it even louder than I did. This is God's grace that Jesus came to save that which did not deserve saving. Now, I don't, I try to avoid using too many, uh, telling too many stories about my family because um, I don't want to embarrass them, but I just, some of you know my little Ashley. You guys know Ashley? She's such a sweet girl. Just the most tender heart of anyone I know. Like if I, I, I nobody can cheer me up like my Ashley can. She's just so sweet. Well, Denise and my sister Gina were walking through Target years and years ago before we even moved to New York. She was just a baby, and she fell in love with this cheap little plastic doll, like the cheapest doll you could find. So my sister Gina, because she's a sucker, bought it for her. Well, at some point, one of Ashley's bigger siblings, 
that I will go unnamed. <laughs> Ripped the arms and legs off of this little doll and lost them. You know what? You know how Ashley responded? She loved that little special needs doll. She loved it even more. She carried it all over the house for, I think, several years. Just making sure that it was warm and had a blanket and cuddling with it and putting it to sleep and just caring tender, tenderly for that worthless, little, armless, legless, plastic doll because of sin we have become corrupted like that doll damaged and worthless but to our God we are priceless because for those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus he has chosen us from before the foundations of the earth we can do nothing to make ourselves less lovable to God. Earlier we read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. I want to read that again, but I want to finish the passage. Listen closely. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the curse of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, my two favorite words in Scripture, my two favorite words in all of Scripture, but God, but God, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were zombies. We were the walking dead. But God, but God being rich in mercy made us alive in Christ by his grace that we might live in active grace and good works that he prepared for us. I'm going to talk more about this tonight, and I really hope that you're all there at 6 o'clock, because, or here actually. <laughs> I really hope you're all here. Because we're going to be looking at the upcoming year in the life of IBC, and grace is going to be a dominant theme. Because I want to learn that better. I want to learn what grace means better than I know it. I believe that's what God would have for us. But for now, if you've been made alive in Christ Jesus, meditate this week on what all of this means. Meditate on the price which was paid for you by your everlasting, holy God. And meditate on the baptism of Jesus, which shows how he bore your sin. Let's go back one more chapter in Ephesians, back to chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every 
spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as, he, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Live and rest, therefore, in great thankfulness for your God who loves you. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to look upon the one who went to the cross for your sins. Lay your burdens before him. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you, if you would like to repent of your sins and be a, 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 a participant in the promises of God, this morning. Please see me after the service. Or see one of our elders. Uh, Lance is over here. Josh is back here. Um, we've got some folks in the back that would love to pray for you. Um, any, of the, any of the leaders that you see here in the church, come talk to us after the service so that we can pray with you, help you get pointed in the right direction in your new life with Christ. Jesus. Jesus came, he was baptized, and that baptism pointed to the fact that he took our sins upon himself. And that truth is the most profound truth in all of our faith. Let us pray. Our holy God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his salvation. We thank you that you are holy. Triune God has given us hope. Hope in Jesus and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Lord, renew our hearts that we might daily give our lives for your gracious purposes. God, may we be willing to do the good that you have called us to by your grace and your mercy. To effectively serve in the mission that you've given us here in Idlewild and throughout the world. Be present with us as we do these things. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.